Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning, as we continue through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, we're going to be in Galatians 5, where Paul continues to deal with problems uh, in the churches of Galatia, churches that he planted uh, during his first missionary journey. So this morning we're in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 18. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Pretty harsh words from Paul. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, friends, I could hear it in his voice. And what I heard was the unmistakable sound of freedom. Okay, I'm talking about a conversation that I had with my son Cole a few days ago. After he had just finished, minutes before, his very last final exam of the semester. And there was a relief in his voice that's hard to put into words. Relief because there were no more exams to take or papers to write, no more early classes to attend, okay? Relief because the semester was over, and guess what? Summer had arrived. 
Now, he's in college, and so for you students who have not gotten out yet, that, that's coming very soon. But I would imagine that even the adults in the room remember this and can relate to that feeling of freedom that happened after your last day of the spring. Um, I can remember for some reason, I, I'll never forget, it was after the um, end of year assembly at the end of my fourth grade year. I have no idea why that is like seared into my memory and consciousness, but I can remember running like with euphoric joy out of the assembly hall, running up to get into the car with my mother and putting my arms up because it was the feeling of freedom. A summer of possibilities awaited. Adventure was just around the corner. Now, I didn't say to this to Cole a few days ago, all right? But this summer, sadly, is likely the freest he will ever feel for the rest of his life. <laughs> because next summer, right, he's going to have an internship. Not lifeguarding, but like a real internship, okay? And then the next summer, a real job after graduation. And that's the end of summer forever for Cole. I'm not bitter, you know. Summers would be nice, even in the adult world. Um, the feeling of freedom is just, is amazing. And properly understood, properly nuanced, freedom is a wonderful thing. And Paul uses the idea of freedom, okay, to convey a number of truths about the Christian life. And he uses it in a variety of ways. And we're going to look at three ways that Paul understands the concept of freedom in the Christian life, and then we'll apply one of those, those um, understandings of freedom to our situation. Um, those three are, Paul talks about freedom from the demands of the law. Okay, that's number one. Paul talks about freedom from the curse of the law. That's number two. And then number three, which is the emphasis of chapter five, Paul talks about the freedom to obey, the freedom to do what is right, the freedom to live a life that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ by loving one another. That's what we're going to look at. Okay, so if you have your insert or you can look in your Bibles, let's go to Galatians 5.1. You can see Paul's emphasis right from the start. Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so it's obvious his emphasis is freedom. It's not the first time he's mentioned this, but what is he talking about? Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you, because people have misrepresented Paul. So he's trying to clarify what he believes and what he teaches. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. Notice that kind of uh, repeated emphasis there. You have fallen away from grace if you do this. Verse 5. 
For through the Spirit by faith, we, are eager, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you get circumcised or you're not circumcised. The only thing that matters, he writes, is faith working through love. Okay, we'll see what he means by the end and why he's saying this. Okay, verse 3. Let's initially look at verse 3. Verse 3 is an interpretive key here to what he's talking about. Verse 3, he writes, I testify again, because he's made this point before. He writes, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, before we kind of consider what that means, do you remember the context? Why did Paul feel the need to fire off this letter to the churches he had just planted in Galatia? The reason he felt the need to write this letter to the churches of Galatia, and if you see your little, again, your little handy-dandy handout on the backside is this very nice colored map. Um, and you, can, you can see the region of Galatia that's in the middle and number of churches that he planted there. So after Paul left, after he completed his first missionary journey, when he gets back to Syria and Antioch, he hears that people have gone behind him and are undermining the message of the gospel. And Paul refers to these people. Do you remember the name that he gives to these people, in a sense, in, in the book of Galatians? He calls them Judaizers, okay? And Judaizers are a group of people, they were Jewish Christians, who insisted that in addition to believing in Jesus, you had to be circumcised and follow certain tenements tenets of the Old Testament law, in order to be accepted as people of God. In other words, the, uh, the uh, Judaizers taught that in addition to believing in Jesus, you had to do certain things in order to be saved, okay? Do you remember why? The motive that, that Paul ascribes to these Judaizers. He tells us in chapter 6 why the Judaizers were doing this. Why were they insisting on circumcision in addition to Jesus. Do you remember why? In chapter 6, Paul says that the Judaizers do this because they want to avoid being persecuted. Who would they be persecuted by? Okay, this is an interesting question. Again, I hope we maybe drank some coffee this morning. I hope we're dialed in. This is interesting from a textual standpoint. Paul writes in Galatians 6 that the Judaizers were concerned about persecution. And that's why they were trying to force these Gentile Christians to be circumcised in addition to believing in Jesus. Who were they afraid of? They were afraid of unbelieving Jews back in Jerusalem. The vast majority of Jews in Jerusalem at this time were still unbelieving Jews. Okay? Now, what's interesting, what's very interesting, is at this point in redemptive history, this is about 17, 18 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. About 17 or 18 years later. And there were some unbelieving Jews who were okay 
if Christian Jews believed in Jesus as long as they followed a lot of these Old Testament laws. And so these unbelieving Jews, let's see if we can follow this, okay? The vast majority of Jews in Jerusalem did not believe in Jesus. Okay, they still followed all of the laws of Moses. They did not think Jesus was the Messiah. But on some level, they had grown comfortable and thought it was okay if, if Jews believed in Jesus as long as they followed these Old Testament laws. They didn't want to lose their Jewish identity. Okay, and I know this sounds crazy. All right, are you with me still? Are we awake? Okay. In Acts 15, okay, which follows Acts 14. In Acts 15, there's this council that meets in Jerusalem to decide these matters once and for all. Are we going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be saved, you know, believe in Jesus and be circumcised, or is it faith in Jesus alone? And in Acts 15, Luke mentions that there were members of the Pharisees that were there engaging in the discussion. If you look at Acts 15, and you're like, well, why would the Pharisees be there? You see, there were some Pharisees who were allowed to stay Pharisees even though they believed in Jesus because they were following all of these Old Testament laws. Okay? If you're following me, there was enormous pressure on Jewish Christians, enormous pressure to have their children be circumcised and follow these Old Testament laws to fit into their society. And so these, these, these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, these people thought, okay, let's just, life will go much easier for everybody. If we just say, believe in Jesus and follow these Old Testament laws, believe in Jesus and follow circumcision, you know, the Gentiles can be brought in easier if they believe in Jesus and get circumcised, okay, life will go much easier for us. Does that make sense? It, some of you are not really nodding. You may not be following. But that's the motive for some of the Judaizers. They're like, it's just easier if we don't make a federal case out of circumcision. What's the harm, okay, in saying it's Jesus, but we need to do these, these Jewish kinds of things to make the unbelieving Jews happy. We can all live together in peace. Okay, and that's what Paul will not have. That's what Paul will not accept. Because he knows if you go down this road, what are you teaching? If you go down this road that it's Jesus plus anything, you are teaching works righteousness. And that's the very thing Jesus had come to free his people from. Because over the years, they related to the Old Testament law as a means of salvation. And so Paul was not going to compromise not one bit as it relates to these Judaizers. And that's where verse 3 comes into play. Look at verse 3, Galatians 5.3. Paul's a, a genius in how he writes this. He, testify, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts Circumcision. In other words, he says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision. In other words, if you think 
that circumcision is necessary to be accepted into the people of God. If you think circumcision is necessary for salvation, what does he say? Then he's obligated to keep the whole law. So he says, if you compromise in this one area, it's Jesus plus circumcision, you got to go all the way. It's not just circumcision. You got to obey every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law if you're saying that circumcision is required. Okay, and so he's trying to show them, folks, this is what Jesus came to deliver us from. He's saying, if you want to go that way, you got to go all the way, and that way is impossible. That way is impossible because of what Dave mentioned, you know, in his um, prelude to the confession of sin. We have this sin nature that we all inherit. Even if we wanted to, we could never obey every aspect of the law. It's impossible. When the Bible says we are conceived and born in sin, like it's over before it starts. And Paul is saying we are not going down this road. Jesus came to free us from the demands of the law. Everybody who has ever lived is born, okay, having to live a perfect life. In other words, um, like the ladder that Chris mentioned. I love all these metaphors that we're using, okay? Everyone who has ever lived is obligated if you want to get to heaven through your works, you've got to be perfect. You've got to go all the way. Okay, that's the demand of the law. No one can meet it. Jesus came to free us from the demands of the law by obeying the law for us. You can't love God and neighbor perfectly. You know, even as a Christian, you can't do it perfectly. Okay, if that's the standard, is there any hope for us? If God's going to judge you based on your ability to perfectly obey the law, which he is in one sense, how are you going to do? We have no hope. Jesus came to obey the law in our place. Jesus met the demands of the law for us, but not only did he meet the demands of the law for us, and therefore we're free from having to do it, he bore the curse for us. We are free from the demands of the law. We are free from the curse of the law. Like Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Okay, and he died the death we should have died. He did it all. He climbed the ladder for us. We couldn't climb the ladder. That's the kind of freedom Paul's talking about. We are free from the demands of the law. We are free from having to be perfect. I don't know about you, but that is a huge relief to me. Just this past week, I violated God's law in countless ways. And the truth is, you did too. What a relief it is. What a freedom it is to not have to um, obey those laws in order to be accepted by God. Also, we're free from the curse of the law. When he died, he died for you and me. That's amazing freedom. Okay, let's take a little break. That's what he's talking about. You're free from these Old Testament obligations. You're free from these demands. You don't have to do these things to earn God's favor. 
But that's not the only thing you're free from. You're free, also according to Paul, you're free from living like unbelievers. Okay, you, you are now free to love God and love your neighbor in ways that weren't possible before you were a Christian, okay? And that's what he's talking about here. The rest of the chapter, he's been building up to this. Because these arguments over circumcision were just eating the church, churches in Galatia, alive. Paul says that they were biting and devouring one another. Okay, there was incredible strife and strain going on in the churches of Galatia. Like the, the Judaizing Christians were shunning the Gentiles, and no doubt the Gentiles were responding in kind. It was a mess. It was ugly. And so really Paul is building up in chapter 5, okay, to help them understand Okay, the new power and ability and freedom that they have in the gospel to love one another, to not act this way, to not treat each other like this. Look at verse 13. Again, he's going he's to say it again, but now he's going to use it in a different way, this, this metaphor of freedom. Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't misunderstand me. Don't... don't use this concept of freedom as an excuse or license to sin. It doesn't work that way. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't shun one another. Don't judge one another. Don't condemn one another in Galatia. Love each other. Okay, show the fruit of the Spirit in your interactions with one another. And that's what he does after this. He, he lists off the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he wants to mark their relationships to one another. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, like, like exactly what they were doing, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Massive infighting going on and Galatia. Incredibly tense. Extremely dysfunctional. I think it's safe to say that the church over time has repeated the Galatian error in that sense. As you've seen, split after split after split after split, division, division, squabbling, infighting among the Lord's people. It's amazing. And Paul is saying that ought not be. That ought not be. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 is another controlling verse. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, verse 17 explains this concept that we call indwelling sin, or, or it describes our sin nature, the sin nature that we're born with. It's, it's like an ethical force that's brought to bear against you from the moment of your conception. Okay, it's, it's, what, it's what pushes you to sin. It's what pushes you to think unkind thoughts about your spouse and your neighbor and your parents and things like that. 
It's indwelling sin. It is a real ethical force. In the book of Romans, Paul calls it a law. You know, kind of like the law of gravity brings itself to bear on objects, pulling it down. The law of sin is an ethical force that wages war on you. Paul refers to it here as the flesh. That's why we're so ugly to one another. That's why we're so quick to condemn one another, okay, and, and deal unlovingly with one another because of the flesh. But his point is, unlike the non-Christian world, we have something that they don't. We have another more powerful law at work in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit is more powerful than our indwelling sin. The law of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than our indwelling sin so that over time we grow and we mature. We don't win every battle, of course, but we have the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And so Paul is basically saying to the Galatians, you have no excuse for biting and devouring one another. You have the power of the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ to love one another and care for one another and show the fruit of the Spirit in one another's life. And we need a renewed emphasis on this in our time. I have never seen evangelical, Jesus-loving Christians more divided and more split than right now in my lifetime. I have never seen Jesus-loving Christians more split and more contentious than when discussing politics or things going on in our nation. I'll just give you one example. Just the, the issue of immigration. And a few years ago, whether there should be a border wall or whether there shouldn't be a border wall. And of course it's fine to disagree. Okay? It's, it's you know, iron sharpening iron is a good thing. But I saw Christians rip each other apart. Okay? With those who disagreed with them. On something like immigration. In other words, they, they, they ended up functioning like it was a gospel issue, okay? When, when that issue is extremely complex and you have wonderful Jesus-loving Christians on, on different sides of the issue with different nuanced positions, but I saw that issue just rip Christians apart from one another, Christians who would not speak to one another after talking about it end relationships, thinking you can't be a Christian if you believe this. You can't be a Christian if you believe that. Let me be clear. There is no problem with disagreeing about some of what I would call some of these secondary issues, okay? But there's no excuse for sinning against one another and for berating one another and being ugly to one another. No excuse for it. Matters outside the core of salvation should not keep Christians from loving one another. And I think that's what the enemy has done. 
you know, with all of these, with all of the, the racial tensions that were going on, that we're experiencing today, and people think, well, the church should say this about it, the church should say that about it, and if the church doesn't say this about it, well, then it's not a Jesus-loving church, and if the church doesn't say that about it, well, it's not a Jesus-loving church, okay? The focus of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the focus of Christians, the thing of paramount and ultimate importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we should not divide and devour one another over non-essential issues. We can disagree. We can even passionately disagree. But we still need to love one another and show grace and mercy to one another. Jesus said all men... Doesn't mean all men will be saved when they see how you treat one another. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples. They'll know you're Christians if you love one another. That's what Paul's talking about. The Galatians were ripping each other apart, and the church has done that consistently since that day. May we be a people that utilize the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus to love one another. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for um, the ways that your word uh, relates to every situation and every time. Father, we pray that we would be a people through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would be a people who love one another and show kindness to one another and forgive one another and bear with one another. Lord, um, I pray that we would apply these principles that the Apostle Paul is laying out in Galatians 5. I pray that we would understand that, that freedom in Christ is not the freedom to sin, but the, but the power and the ability to obey and live in righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.